All right, welcome back, Sports Talk for fans by fans. Brian here, got Alex and Tages with me. We wrapped up college football. The season's over. We're about halfway through the basketball season. We're starting NFL playoffs. Hockey's going. Baseball is just locked out. Sad for baseball. There's a lot of stuff going on. Football season's finally over, and we sure ended the season on a crazy note uh, with the whole Raiders-Chargers potential tie to ruin – Contagious, I guess your dreams of the Steelers going back to the playoffs, that would have been uh, – I mean, how would you have felt if uh, those two teams would have tied Tejas and you had to watch the Steelers be eliminated because two teams mutually agreed to to give up, essentially? It, it would have been a rough week, man. I, I, I uh, So I actually thought, like, emotionally, I just, like, couldn't take a tie. So about in the middle of the afternoon after the Steeler victory, I was going to bet the tie to hedge my emotions. <laughs> but then I couldn't – even though I'm like the worst gambling expert, you know, on this, but it's like, I, I couldn't figure out where to bet the prop bet for the tie. And so then yeah. I just like, my child started attacking me and I gave up on it. And so then I was like, eh, you know, forget about it. And so then I'm watching. And so it's, you know, Steelers are going to get screwed. I could have won some money on the tie. It was and then her, and, and like, you know, Stay every nice. fourth down that Herbert was, was converting was just another dagger. I'm, <laughs> You know, here here to talk some playoff Steeler playoff football with you then now. I know. It's, uh, I don't think – I think the percentages that's happening two weeks ago were, like, insanely low. I think it was below, like, 3% that they have a chance of. So it's really impressive that they were here. The thing to talk about with the tire really quick that's really interesting is there was actually uh, – I saw something out there saying that this is – it would have been the biggest loss or payouts in, like, the bookings or, or the bookies or whatever if the game would have went to a tie because people actually bet on it because they thought it was – an interesting bet. Uh, for example, I had a buddy send me a text during the games. Uh, I told him I was going to say this on here, but he he had a, a parlay, a two-team parlay, with the Jaguars beating the Colts and the Chargers and Raiders tying. It was a $10 bet. The payout was $5,000. So it was uh, it was insane how close he was to winning that. And those are the two you know funny things that had to happen. You know, I, I, one of those were good for you, Tejas, the Jaguars winning. The other one was just spiteful, you know, the tie. So kind of uh, interesting how that worked out but um yeah man it, it the, the game was interesting um before we get into all the playoff talk though i just want to you know open this up uh, from the sports week is there anything that we want to talk about before we start getting fully in- invested to the playoff talks hey just is there anything in the sports week uh any sports that you saw that was interesting that maybe you want to talk about really quickly yeah, now I know we're mostly going to hit football, but I, I just got to throw it to Alex, man. Grizzlies have won 10 games. And did you see John Moran's block uh, against the Lakers? Millions of times, yes. I kept replaying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely kept. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's kind of becoming like the highlight reel. Um, the memes that, that they, I keep saving online for him has just been crazy. Like uh, – you see, if you ever played the old um, game, you know, on some of the old games, arcade games, dunking games or whatever, and you see memes of, like, him, like, trying these crazy dunks and putting their heads on it. It's just – he's just – he's just he's he's been better than what I thought he was going to be. And it's it's, it's, it's made the, t- the the city electric on it. I mean, I mean, a couple of weeks back, he kind of remarked about how somebody kind of um, said something, you know, at, at his own home game to him that was wrong 
and the city was just up uproar about finding who this person was and like let them know that Jai is not to be messed with. Like he's like the protected person here. He's like uh he's he's like a you know our Rocky or something right now. It seems like you know the Philly or something like that. You don't mess with Jot right now in the city. He's he's he, he's he's in a city right now that's struggling right now. He's just been the light to here. So um it is it's great to see him, you know. Yeah, no, it's like kind of like they went on the win streak without him, but then it's like, wait till they get a load of me, you know, with this winning team that I'm coming back to, and he's just taking it to a next level. Um, did you watch the Golden State game uh, yesterday? Yes, I did. Um, because definitely, um, and Jai remarked about how many Golden State fans were at the the grind house yes last night about how many were wearing like the the Steph Curry jerseys. I mean, there were a lot of people I knew who went to this game to kind of see Steph Curry. And I would say right now that those who went probably, you know, were, were going to see the wrong superstar yesterday because I think he kind of showed out. It kind of seems like whenever he's up against a great player this year, he kind of like puts on his like greatest effort to kind of show somebody like Jordan-esque, like, hey, you know, I'm going against this great player. I'm going to show him that I'm just as great as well. Did you yeah, – I just got to throw this in there. Did you see that, the Curry thing with the kid? Now, the yeah, Moran, Mar- yeah, Moran Mar- Mar- yeah, had that legit amazing play, and the kids went over and like tried to put the high fives up on him, and he just shook his head no at them. And then after the game, I think he said like, "These kids are uh, you know wearing the wrong jersey, just like you said." And he and how he's going to send them some uh, some of his jerseys to kind of correct the situation. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, it's classy of him because you know he obviously he, and with me uh, he kind of dissed the kid, but with it he kind of said, "Hey." I'm going to send him a signed jersey, you know, get his – they got his information. He sent him a signed jersey kind of like, you know, to show him, you know, he didn't mean any harm to it. But he was like, man, we're in Memphis. And, like, that's just something like just the whole city this morning just embracing. I've just been seeing all my timeline. Everybody's like, he's right. Like, this is Memphis. You don't do that here. But, you know, it is what it is. It's going to be interesting in the Western Conference playoffs coming. So. Uh, With – I guess I want to ask both of you this question because, you know, LeBron's not the face of the NBA anymore. And, you know, we can, we can have the speech in his prime of how great he was. He's not, he's a shell of himself. So right now, if Giannis is the next person to carry the NBA um, and throw out other names, if you guys, if you guys have them, but just kind of thinking like Giannis is maybe the best person. I know Durant's a little bit older, but he's still probably uh, he's as elite, but is John Morant, putting himself in that conversation right now as being kind of helping the next next be the next face of the NBA. Would you say that Tejas? I don't think he's there yet just because the market's small, but I mean, just having these uh, viral super highlights, I think is, is getting them closer and closer. I mean, if it's not LeBron, then I think it's probably Steph Curry. I am guilty. Actually. I just bought a toddler uh, Steph Curry shirt for my son. (laughs) So I'm going to be one of these uh, fans in a, you know, home arena with a Golden State jersey. Uh, they're actually, I, I'm going to go to Wizards Golden State coming up in March. And it's a Sunday night game. And then they play the Grizzlies. Golden State goes and plays the Grizzlies the Monday after. So I'm worried because of this loss that Golden State's going to probably sit everybody against the Wizards and then try and get some revenge on the Grizzlies. So I'm, I'm worried that my kid is going to be in the Steph Curry jersey and not get to see Steph Curry. Yeah, that'd uh, be unfortunate. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Alex, is there anything from the sports week that you want to talk about before we start hitting the NFL talk? 
Yeah, um, I kind of, and I don't know whether you whether it's a certain year or not, but I've seen predict particularly NBA wise that it's just like um, the teams you kind of expected to be up there aren't there right now. It almost seems like some of these teams are kind of working their way in. Brooklyn was already up there, but now they kind of got Kyrie back. Uh, Philly was up there last year, being one of those kind of last teams to kind of working themselves in. I don't know what it is, but it just seems to me there's not a clear cut kind of this team is going to win a championship like we've had before. Years and years, you have that really dominant team. I know everybody's kind of hopping on Golden State right now, but Golden State isn't, you know, maybe fully, especially with Clay coming back. But I don't know. I just don't see a team where it's like, okay, this team is definitely winning a championship. I just kind of see kind of flaws everywhere. What do you guys think? Uh, I'll go first. I, I do want to say I think this is one of the first times where I think I'm more interested in watching because there isn't uh, two teams that are locked in to win it all. I think there's maybe what, like six teams, five teams that you could say are legit contenders. And then there's another group right below them that could have a good chance to get sneak through maybe a, a conference championship game or something. But uh, I, I actually do like this more, Alex. You know, I, I know my bulls are in the top of the East, but I think they could still lose to the, you know, five teams below them. So, I think this is actually good for basketball because in the past I've actually absolutely hated watching basketball for the reason of it's LeBron versus whoever the hot team is on the other side. So that's kind of my take on that. Tejas? I think my personal view is that I would tier it as like Golden State and Brooklyn kind of as as the two favorites and then uh, probably, you know, four or five teams beneath them. But very little gap between tiers, frankly. And But, uh, you know, and that's assuming that, full capacity, which we haven't really seen because Clay hasn't been 100% and Kyrie and, and Harden and Durant haven't played a game yet. So. But that's just my view of where we'll be uh, come playoff time. Oh, man. And, those, and both those teams are not even the number one seed as of right now. The Nets and uh, Warriors are both number two seeds. So uh, definitely definitely interesting. Uh, other things, you know, the Heat are hot. I don't think anyone knows that. They're they're right a couple games behind the Bulls and Nets now. Um Grizzlies, like you said, 10-game winning streak. Mavericks have a six-game winning streak. So it's a lot of interesting stuff going on. But let's uh, move over to football. Let's get into this. Uh, first, Alex, college football. We finally got to watch someone else win besides Alabama because we just assume Alabama's going to win every year, I think. So Georgia pulled it off, 33-18. to 18. Alex, what's your initial reaction from the game? And did you see anyone kind of solidify their spot in the draft or maybe hurt their spot in the draft? What I saw from the uh, game, um, one thing I saw is that um, and a lot of people I've been arguing with people lately, but I knew the game was going to be close. Um, I thought if Alabama got a, a score lead on Ugga, um, they were going to struggle. Um, but they they really changed their defense. They really did some things that Alabama wasn't ready for. Um, I think I came away surprised about Alabama's offense line. I came away more, more impressed with Evan Neal. Uh, Alabama's tackles will be top three pick. He looked great at times, and the rest of the offensive line definitely struggled. So it actually made him look kind of better. Um, one of your boys, Dalvin Cook's little brother, James Cook, uh, I think uh, when it's time for him to come out, he's going to be a definitely be a player. Uh, he definitely shined on the big stage in playing for Georgia. Um, I think he did had a great job. I think Georgia offense, um, as they kept it close, I think Georgia's offense definitely came to play. Um, Alabama, uh, Bryce Young, he's probably going to be a top pick in the next year or so. 
Um, but he definitely saw some situations that he showed kind of his youngness. Uh, there was a time when they were on a three-yard line and Bryce Sean took a terrible sack and got sacked on a 20. Um, he's going to have to work on some things. I don't kind of don't blame him. He had two top wide receivers out. Boo-hoo for him. Mechie was already gone. And then Williamson hurt, got hurt in the second quarter. And to me, that changed the, the aspect of the game. Um, I think Williams is kind of – everybody's kind of worried about that. He's a 4-3 guy, um, someone who loves him. They're not going to drop him off their, his board, you know. He's definitely still going to be a top-20 pick. So, um, I think overall, the everybody in the Georgia defense is eligible to draft. They all shine. They all had a great game against the elite offense. I do want to say uh, with the wide receiver, I, I did just read a report saying that they, uh, they, they the doctors looked into it, the injury that he has – he should have a full recovery and be able to retain his four three speed. It's not the type of injury that's going to compromise his speed. So hopefully he heals well and that and then you know he's able to come back and do that. So that's um, cool. Yeah. So all right, let's get into this. Uh, first, we're going to talk about coaches. So the coaching carousel has started. Um, we've known for a while about the Raiders and Jaguars. Uh, the Raiders, you know, overcoming their coaching difficulties and making the playoffs. So I think is really impressive and I think should really be considered to be allowed to keep his job. But you know. It, uh, he's a special teams coach, so maybe uh, they want him to go back to the role and they want to pick the right guys. But the Jaguars coach position has been out there. But, Alex, the positions that open up, um, and even recently, the even the Giants one, we, we you know Joe Judge was talked about to be to being coming back, and he recently got canned. So uh, I think the only one that really maybe should have got canned that didn't was Matt Rule. So that leaves us uh, with the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Bears, the Vikings, the Giants, the Jaguars. I'm not going to mention the Raiders yet, Alex, just because they're still in playoff contention. They technically have their interim coach, but we'll talk all the other ones. Um, the one thing I did read about the Raiders, though, is that they are in love with car leadership is there. Uh, they are planning on tying whatever their coach is to the long-term future of Derek Carr. Uh, so it looks like that's what their plan is. Yes, he has a year left. So I guess we'll see what it really means if they're going to give the big contract. But Alex, between – those other remaining teams, which one do you think is the most interesting team for a coach to go to between Jags, Giants, Vikings, Bears, Broncos, and the Dolphins? So the thing about it is, is you get them with these teams, you get bad organizations. And I think right now you put the Giants kind of at the bottom. I put the Bears down there as well. Jags definitely with there. But the trigger to me is Bronc, the Broncos because I feel like the Broncos are a really ran, great grand organization. I know they're about to sell this team and change ownership, so that maybe might be in a play for a new head coach. But they still have a great front office there. I think they got everything they need to win. Uh, this is one of the places that you kind of said that maybe Aaron Rodgers might be going to. They might be in a play for Aaron Rodgers, maybe Deshaun Watson. Those are just two, uh, two quarterbacks to think about. I think if you're a quarter, if you're a head coach and you're looking to kind of hit your feet running on one of these teams, I think if maybe you're able, maybe you're you're able to maybe lure one of those quarterbacks or a decent tier quarterback to the Broncos, I think you could be in playoff contention like day one. That's going to be the question about it is, but I think the Broncos are one of those franchises that's well run, so I would trust the Broncos if I was a new head coach. I, All right, uh, so I, well, hold on, I, I got. Yeah, one second, Tage. So you said the Giants and Bears were at the bottom. The Broncos were at the top. I didn't really hear what you said. Like, where where would you rank the Jags, the Vikings, and the Dolphins? I'd say right now, I'd say the um, – I'd say as far as – I was just talking about just as far as uh, bad franchises. 
I'd say the top, I'll probably look at the Broncos. Then you're maybe talking about the Bears, only because the Bears have a quarterback situation. Then I, you're looking at maybe the Dolphins, Vikings, Jags, and then you talk about the Giants. I think the Giants right now are a mess. The Jags definitely still have assets and different things like that. Um, but I don't uh, look at their front office. I don't know if you're a head coach, you want to go to their front office right now. Um, but okay. that's kind of how I rank them. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Tejas, what did you want to say? Yeah, no, just in looking at the firings, I, I, I would kind of say that in my opinion, I, I, I think that the Vic Fangio firing and the uh, – the Dolphins, um, losing the, uh, yeah, the, the Brian Flores firing are, are the pro- probably the two of the ones that I think are pr- pretty unfair. Uh, neither of those guys have a quarterback. Um, I kind of agree with Alex that you know Broncos ha- are a good situation and have good stability, but part of that I thought was having you know a good coaching staff for the most front to back, and particularly with the Broncos, just you know being in that super tough division with Kansas City, Oakland. San Diego, you're not just, you know, every week you're getting a very, you know, to, there's at least six very tough games on your schedule. So, you know, I, I, I thought I, those, those were two coaches that I would be jumping on to see if they wanted to be a coordinator or something. If, uh, uh, you know, I'm an organization that has an opening. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the order of what Alex stated from worst to best. I'm going to talk some of these things out and we'll kind of uh, just have some conversations going forward. So Alex, We'll say number six is the Giants. Um, they were originally going to keep, obviously, the coach, Joe Judge, and then they decided last second to start from scratch. And even today, uh, their owner over there was talking about how, um, you know, it, it was a bad season. You know, he thinks Joe Judge is still a good coach, but they need a complete fresh start from everyone, Fabrice Brothers, if you will. Um, so they've already declared that they're going to hire their GM before hiring coach. So at least that part makes sense. Um which some of these other teams did not do that. Some of the other teams are are doing hirings at the same time, which I don't know if that's really smart, but the Giants are going to go after uh, GMs. They have eight candidates that they've requested interviews for uh, from the Bills, the Chiefs, the Titans, the Niners, and the Cardinals. Alex, the Cardinals, one of the people they're actually requesting to hire, I thought it was kind of interesting based on name, the vice president of pro personnel, Adrian Wilson. So I guess their former safety uh, is working for the Cardinals. And those are the eight people that the Giants are looking into before they even consider coaches so um do you think that's kind of smart alex that they're going down that path because i think that makes sense what the giants are doing there well the gm is going to be the heart of the team um the gm is going to be over constructing what the team is going to be what type of uh roster you're going to put together and whatever type of roster that he thinks that head coach he has to hire a head coach that thinks that way because if he wants one type of roster and the, he has a coach that wants a different type of roster, it's not going to work. It's one of the more important things a lot of people don't understand. You get that right, and that person knows what they're doing, you can build the foundation correctly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, hopefully they keep Daniel Jones because I think I think he is a, a good quarterback that has been not been given a fair chance with how bad the offensive line is, how bad the you know all of the talent around him is always hurt. So yeah. Uh, Hopefully he gets that uh, that chance, and it's gonna be interesting to see how they pair the coach and everything. All right, so next one, Jaguars number five. Now, Jaguar situation. Yes, you have your quote unquote franchise quarterback. You have a lot of money. You have draft picks. You have you know some some potential, if you will. However, Alex, do you know who the GM is for the Jaguars? Trent Belke. 
Yep. And as you know, I know that situation very well. He is the one that clashed and bumped heads with Jim Harbaugh, which led Harbaugh leaving San Francisco, which was a terrible decision. It took the Niners years to recover from that. And for some reason, Khan, the owner, is allowing Balky to stay there and being part of the coach hiring process. So we've seen some of the names that have come out there. I think, you know, Jim Caldwell and Quinn and stuff like that. Alex, uh, is there a coach that you think would be a good fit for that type of team? You know what? Um, I like I like Caldwell. I think they might go more nostalgic and maybe go someone like Leftwich. Um, the reason is because with your boy Trent Balky, he's going to want a head coach that wants to just coach and not worry about personnel. To let him kind of do whatever he wants to do, to mess up or do whatever on the roster he wants to do. So he's not going to hire like a big-time head coach that has this strong personality. He knew Urban Meyer kind of was going to yeah, Aaron Ryan had some say or whatever, but Irvin Meyer was going to coach. He wasn't going to too much meddle in the personnel. So, um, but that's that's one of the things you, the GM has got to be able to hire actually hire a head coach that fits what he wants to do. Uh, before we keep going to these, Alex, you know, I do want to talk to some of these head coach candidates. There are some out there that are kind of hot hot names. One of them is Dan Quinn. I actually don't understand that one bit. I want to see kind of how you feel about this. I think considering Dan Quinn is a hot commodity is I, I think an overreaction for what he's done this year. I don't, I'm not saying that he's bad for the Cowboys did, but I think he's had several like three, four years with the Falcons of just kind of being almost non-existent, like didn't get much out of his team had one, you know, the Cowboys aren't an elite defense still. I don't care what people say. They have a lot of takeaways, but they still give up a lot of points at times, depending on who they play. Um, and I will argue that if you look at their schedule, they don't have any like elite wins either. So I think Dan Quinn is kind of overhyped as a coach, and as are most of these candidates out there, Alex. So what do you think of some of the candidates? Are there any that stand out as what you think of being a good coach? Because I, like I said, I think there's maybe one or two that are clear-cut, easy, good hires. But I think Dan Quinn is not really a good hire that they sh anyone should be doing. What's your thought on that? On the Dan Quinn thing, there's the only three reasons he's getting calls. One, he's the defense coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Everyone knows that if you do anything other than not farting yourself as a coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, that's highlight to go anywhere particularly. Um, two, I think we have some type of revisionist history on, on Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is not a great head coach, all right? Let's just call it what it is. But he's not a terrible head coach. He was a good head coach. Um I think he was in Atlanta maybe two to three years longer than he should. I'd put that more on ownership. Um, but the thing about it is a lot of times with some of these ownership uh, places, um, you kind of get into this, this, this bubble of being known by head coaches and different things, by going by ownerships and different things like that. And I think he's in that bubble right now of kind of like, okay, this guy's a guy we think we can trust where our, our franchise ownership. And like you was, you know, like you're saying, like there's, We've seen Dan Quinn. You've seen the, the book on Dan Quinn. He's not a championship winning head coach. He shouldn't be thought about it, but like I said, he's in that bubble. Um, as far as the other um, guys go, it's always about the hot coordinator. Um, this is a, um, a a business in the NFL where they like to um, repeat and clone what other guys do. That's why when Belichick was winning, everyone wanted someone off the Belichick uh, um, tree. Um, deserve a, a offense that's really good. Everyone wants that offensive coordinator. If your defense is really good, they want their defensive coordinator. So 
Um, I'm not, like you said, I'm not so, I'm not looking at some of these guys say, oh, you're going to be a great head coach. I think they're a bunch of really good coordinators. So, yeah. And if you look at some of the coaches, I, I it just, I mean, I'm kind of, besides Dan Quinn, I'm just kind of concerned that, that there's not really a lot of up and coming names really because of these names that are out here right now. Like Todd Frazier, or I'm sorry, Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, uh, you know, Quinn that we just talked about. Um, uh, there's there's a couple other ones that are just like uh, Doug Peterson. You know, he yes, he does have something on his resume, but these are you know regurgitated people uh, instead of the up and coming young talent that may be out there. So uh, let's move on to uh, the next one from Giants to the Jaguars. Next one is the Vikings. So the Vikings are currently looking for a new coach and a GM. They came both of them. Uh, one of the players actually labeled and said that this is a fear based organization. So because of that, there's a lot of thinking that they're going to go towards a more player-friendly coach. So, you know, that to me, that's like a Jim Caldwell. So that works well with people. I think Eric Bieniemy is another name that's kind of linked to that. Um, that's something that they want to have. With the Vikings, uh, they're so early in the process that they're one of the teams that have not even sent out interview requests yet. So it looks like the Vikings haven't even sent out GM or coach interview requests yet. So we don't know what's going on with that. The next one is the Dolphins, which uh, kind of like Tejas has talked about. Um, my initial reaction to this was kind of like, what the hell? Flores did a phenomenal job. Uh, he doesn't have a, a great quarterback. What the hell's going on? Um, Alex, did you look into the Dolphins situation of why Flores got fired? Yes, it's because him and the GM didn't get along. Um, it's, it was a situation um, where I've been hearing, ever hearing, and I'll, I'll, I'll even give people like Mike Flores his credit because he's one of the guys who talked a little bit about it. He actually talked about it a couple of weeks back. Um, that seems like he's one of those guys, similar to Jim Harbaugh, that kind of like, you know, everyone in the front office is kind of walking on eggshells. He's kind of one of those rough, kind of rough, tough, hard coaches that kind of wears on front offices a little bit. So I think there was a little bit of miscommunication with that. And um, one of the things about it is, is when you're a head coach like Brian Forrest and you don't have the ear to Stephen Ross, the ownership, but the GM does. And when the ownership asks questions, the GM is the one who's able to say what he thinks and the head coach is not. Um, it usually doesn't work out for you. So I think it's one of those situations, kind of like um, Marty Scheidenheimer when he got fired in San Diego, where it's one of those things where the head coach and GM just don't get along. It's kind of a problem issue there. And the, the GM and, the, you know, the ownership just usually comes down and just says, okay, I've had enough. I'd rather fire the guy and have unity than to do with this. So that's kind of what I've been hearing for what's been going on. There's also the other side with uh, Tua. So Tua and him also got into it at halftime. And uh, Tua essentially yelled back at him like that he doesn't know how to deal with people. And, uh, and he was going off on Tua. So it sounds like it was broken between quarterback to coach and between coach to GM. So um, I'm hoping that this is a situation Brian Flores can learn from because he seems like he's really good at actually dealing with the players and he's getting the most out of them. Uh, but it looks like the relationship needs work. So what I'm looking at right now for the Dolphins is uh, someone like Brian Dable, uh, Dable, the offensive coordinator from Buffalo, is being linked as an interesting name because he was formerly at Alabama and he has worked previously with Tua. So that could be someone that – they consider bringing in because uh, it looks like the Dolphins owner is completely supporting the GM and and uh, he likes what the GM is doing in terms of building talent. So outside of that, the other one that we talked about, Alex, he sent me a message about for the Niners offensive coordinator, um, McDaniel. I guess he's getting consideration also, but you know I think Dable is kind of the easy option there. 
next is the Bears. They're uh, right now. They're looking. They're the team that was kind of opposite the Giants. I'm kind of concerned about what the Bears are doing. And if you look at the Bears, they're not really ran by football people. They're kind of ran by business people. They're actually hiring, uh, doing a GM and coach search at the same time, which is, like I said, I think it's extremely concerning. Some of the coaches they're looking at, though, Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, uh, Brian Flores. Um, Alex, the one thing that's interesting, though, is if they do take Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator from the Bills, they're considering who his offensive coordinator may be, which would be the Bills QB coach. Do you know who that is, Alex? I do not know. I feel it's like it might be a Bills favorite, like Alex Van Pelt or something like that. No, 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 not a Bills favorite. It's a you and me childhood name that we talked about as a football player. The Ken Dorsey is their quarterback. Dorsey apparently is a hot commodity to be an offensive coordinator eventually. So he's uh, someone that it's been kind of linked with if Frazier does take that job, that he could also go be the offensive coordinator with him leaving the Buffalo uh, position. So that's kind of a, well, you know, you- interesting. Well, you know what they say, Brian, those who can't do, teach. That's 100% true. Doug Peterson, uh, Jim Harbaugh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and lastly, I think, like Alex said, the number one has got to be the Broncos. Um, the GMS final say over the coach hire here, so that one is clear cut. They do are set to interview several people, including Dan Quinn, who's highly sought after, apparently, for this job. However, the other one that's highly sought after is Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator. Alex. That's not a coincidence, right? The Broncos are trying to hire two different people from the from the Packers besides Nathaniel Hackett. There's another one. Do you, that's not coincidence, right? Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. What do you think about that? Well, Alex, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron yeah. Rodgers is the guy they're yeah. trying to pull. So, if you're going to yeah. pull someone that has you know a lot of work with them, hire Nathaniel Hackett. Try to sway him and bring him in. I, I think if they hire Nathaniel Hackett, that has to be the first indicator that they're going all in on Aaron Rodgers, right? You guys don't think they're courting Jordan Love? Oh, my God. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the question, uh, question the answer is is going to be, um, is that a, a Zach coach that Aaron Rodgers likes? So I don't know if, if Hackett is one of those guys that, that Aaron Rodgers really loves um, because, you know, he's had a, a bunch of different guys He's had Joe Philbin. I think he's had Alex Van Pelt for a certain time, the guy talking about earlier. So he's had a couple of those those guys before. So um, do I think that makes sense? Absolutely. Uh, It makes sense both ways if you don't get Aaron Rodgers and if you do get Aaron Rodgers. So, Yeah, and, you know, I just think – I think the the real issue that Rodgers has is really with ownership and GM anyway. So I don't don't think he has a lot of issue with the coaching staff, but, you know – so I guess we'll see how it all goes. But, yeah, that's the current coaching situation right now. So just so everyone's kind of up to date, um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into actually breaking down the playoff previews and getting into all discussion and kind of giving our spiel with what's going to happen. All right, so let's uh, break down the uh, super wildcard weekend preview, I guess. It's uh, not words there, but – Let's break down these six games that we got, and we're going to talk about them, a little information, the matchups, uh, the, the weaknesses, strengths of each team, what they got to do to win. We have some of the betting action, and we're going to make our predictions and uh, just go from there and watch hopefully some good games this weekend. So the first game that we're going to start with is on the NFC side. We're going to break down the Eagles at the Bucks. It's the 1 p.m. game on Sunday. 
Uh, guys, these teams met in week six. So we've already seen them play each other. Um, the Bucks beat the Eagles 28 to 22, but let's be honest. We talked about the Eagles early in the year that they had no clue what the hell they were doing. This is a very different Eagles team than what they played earlier. Um, so they maybe, ha- I think they have more of an identity that suits the Eagles strengths on offense and defense, but uh, for the Bucks recently was health and, I think as of recently, they, they should have everyone back minus their two wide receiver issues with uh, Tejas' boy, a. Antonio Brown, and obviously Chris Godwin and his injury. So uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, the loss of those two will have a big impact on Tom Brady, but um, and and I guess there's probably uh, less targets. So Alex, Darius Slay matching up on Mike Evans. Um, what's your initial thoughts with uh, the Bucks losing their top two wide receivers? Uh, Slay has been very good this year, especially as the season went on. They changed the defensive system. Evans is not a burner, essentially. So is there any worry for Tom Brady and his targets, um, Alex? Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, I think Slay has the ability to take away Evans. Slay has quietly had, like, a really good year. Uh, a lot of people don't really talk about, like, the – the corners to just cover and just do their job. So Slay has kind of had a really good year. No one's talked about it. And then Brady and Evans just haven't had the greatest chemistry, it seems like. Um, so it's going to be about who can be able to kind of get open for Tom Brady. Who does he trust? Uh, Antonio Brown was one of those guys. He's gone. Guy was hurt. And then you got the Gronk. So um, we're going to see kind of how that works out. Yeah. Uh, Darius Slay is actually ranked the seventh best corner on PFF. So, like I said, very good year. It's almost kind of like his vintage years. He's been phenomenal. So some of the strengths for the Eagles, uh, their running game, they've been phenomenal uh, running the ball, and they have what they have three, four running backs they can run, including Jalen Hurts can run the ball also. Uh, but their big weakness for the Eagles, Alex, which you probably know this best, being an MC East fan, they only have one win this year against a winning team, uh, the, and that was the 9-8 and eight Saints, so it's not really that impressive of a win. Uh, another weakness for the Eagles, pass rush. You got to get to Tom Brady. Well, they got the second least sacks in the league. They only have 29 sacks. So um, with that being said, Alex, uh, what did the Eagles need to do to win this game? To win this game, <clears throat> they're going to somehow, some way have to figure out a way to run the football. They play earlier this year, and Tampa kind of did what Tampa usually does. They slowed that around a little bit. Um, it's almost seemed like they were trying to force the kind of zone read and it just wasn't working earlier. Um, but it's going to always come out on the quarterback. The quarterback is going to have to make some big-time throws. Uh, Tampa's secondary has kind of been up and down this year, especially with injuries. Uh, just came out. Richard Sherman's probably going to be gone for the rest of the year so that he could have helped them out a little bit. Uh, but it's going to come down to Hurts. Hurts is going to have to make the throw when it's time and it's there. Yeah, uh, and the – Important thing for the Bucs is they are literally getting everyone back outside of the two wide receivers and Richard Sherman. So um, all their corners, uh, James Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, Davis, they get all of them back. So this is like kind of the first time in a long time they get them. So this could actually be a very dangerous Bucks team on defense, which we haven't really seen as much lately. I think they also got Levante David back. Uh, Pierre Paul's come back. Shaq uh, Barrett, I think, was gone for a game or so. He's back. So... They're getting healthy at the right time on defense, not so much offense. Um, but for the Bucs, for them to win, 
uh, some of their strengths that they have on their team that uh, playoff experience. You know, they also brought back 22 people. Uh, run defense, like Alex talked about, they're the third best yards per game against for run defense. Uh, they also have the six most sacks. So they're going to probably cause the Eagles a lot of issues. Now their weaknesses are the pass defense, which maybe hopefully will get shored up with these quarterbacks coming back. And they're proven receivers uh, kind of being gone. So you're really relying on Gronk, maybe a little more Cameron Brait. Uh, we've, you know, we've seen some bunch of number two receivers pop up between Perryman and uh, Johnson and a couple others. So, Alex, what does Tampa Bay have to do to win this game? <clears throat> they're going to have to find a second playmaker on offense. And that's either uh, when playoff landing coming back, either they're going to be able to run the football consecutively. Maybe uh, Fournette can be the outlet for Brady because uh, Brady's not going to hold the football or they're going to have to find a, another wide receiver, someone like Scotty Miller or something like that, who can consistently move the football for them. Um, we talked about the, the sack thing. Tampa Bay still got one of the better offensive lines. Um, and, and Gannon, the defense coordinator for the Eagles, he's kind of show a proponent of sometimes getting a little bit too lax and playing coverage more than maybe sending pressure. Um, so they're going to have to have to find a way. You know, They're going to be able to absolutely protect Tom Brady, but Tom Brady is going to have to find another playmaker because I don't think Evans is going to be Evans when you got Slay on him. Yeah, and so when the first time these guys played each other, it was stats-wise, it was a just the Bucks killed them, but score-wise, it was a six-point game. Uh, I mean, if you look at the first downs, it's twenty-seven to sixteen in favor of the Bucks. If you look at the plays ran, it was seventy-three to forty-seven in favor of the Bucks. The total yards, four hundred yards for the Bucks, two hundred for the Eagles. Time possession, 39 minutes for the Bucs, 20 minutes for the Eagles. Uh, the game was at Philadelphia. So Philadelphia found a way to keep it close. Um, the current spread for the game, today just want to bring in for this. The current spread for the game is Tampa Bay is favored by eight and a half. Uh, the Eagles kept it within six. The Bucs annihilated them, you know, on, in terms of stats, but not score. So, Tejas, I'm going to ask you first, if you had put money on that, who are you taking this game with the with that spread there? Yeah, no, I'm probably taking Tampa Bay. Um, you know, it'd be interesting if Tampa Bay comes out early, would, you know, basically kind of hurts who hasn't been in the playoffs be, before, kind of press a little bit, and if so, could it be a route? So, you know, I, I kind of would uh, think that's – more likely the way the game will go than a really close field goal game or something. So I, I, I would, I would put it on the bucks and I think uh, Brady's on a mission and uh, you know, I, I think that the hurts could press leading to some turnovers and uh, kind of bucks just taking advantage of, of, uh, of that. Uh, the over under on the game is also 46. So not really assuming a lot of, a high-scoring game, but uh, Alex, what about you? Do you, Tampa Bay by eight and a half? You take that, or you take the Eagles? <laughs> I'm taking Tampa Bay. Even though Philadelphia, I think, has the ability to run the football, I don't think they're going to be able to line up and just run in Tampa Bay. Uh, I think Tom Brady, when this is this time of year, Tom is terrific. He knows what he's doing. He he's he's prepped all year for this. He's got his team focused. I don't see them letting down. So I definitely take a Tampa Bay with the points. I'm going to be crazy just because you guys are both doing that. Uh, I'm going to take Philadelphia. If Tyler Haneke can almost beat Tom Brady, why can't Jalen Hurts? So I'm going to be that crazy person, and I will take I will take them losing with an eight and a half. I'll be happy with that. 
All right, let's move on next to the Niners at the Cowboys. Alex, uh, these are our teams. This is what we grew up watching. Um, let the age-old rivalry be reignited. I was like all about it. And then I saw reading interview from Kyle Shanahan that said, my players don't even understand the rivalry. They weren't alive during the rivalry. Uh, I tried to talk to them during the meetings, and they just didn't get it. So um, apparently rivalry is just dead between the teams. It's really just between the fans, I guess, Alex. But um, the, I guess the other interesting thing is, are you ready for the next MVP to be uh, awarded, Alex? What do you mean? This game was on Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah, the MVP. I'm sorry to say MVP. Yeah, MVP. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, mean, I can see that. Yeah, I think that that yeah, that yeah that's going to be a, a foolish thing because the MVP, I think, last time was on losing team. So, uh, whoever's going to lose is going to be definitely be the MVP. It was Mitchell Trubisky who was voted for some reason as the MVP. Um, yeah, so Alex, matchups, strengths for the Niners, I think it's pretty clear cut. Our running game is pretty dominant, um, and our run defense is pretty stout. That's another strength for the Niners. Another uh, weakness for the Niners, however, passing defense and third down defense. Alex, I'm going to ask you the question, see what you say. What do the Niners need to do to make sure they win this game against the Cowboys? Come out and run the ball 10 straight times. Um, and this thing I love about Kyle Shanahan, especially when they were in the playoffs last, it almost looked when he played play call like he didn't care who got the credit for it. Um, and even at halftime with the Rams game, they came out and ran the football. I think sometimes Kyle kind of tries to do a little bit too much uh, passing-wise, maybe showing off Jimmy G a little bit more. Um, but I think this is one of those games, this is a physical game, I think Dallas can be uh, it's, it's, it's small and fast. I think if the 49ers want to win, I'd just come out and absolutely just impose their will on it and just run the football right at Dallas. Uh, Dallas to show they're kind of not really good at run, stopping run, particularly on the edges. Philadelphia kind of got them when they played Philly, even Arizona. Um, I think the team that was early this year, kind of similar to San Francisco's running game, Denver. Denver ran 41 times for 190 yards. And they don't have probably, you know, they have better backs, but San Francisco maybe has a better running system. So I think San Francisco's just got to run the ball. Don't put this game in Jimmy G's hand because Dallas will get a turnover. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Uh, the Cowboys have given up 130 yards rushing per game since week nine. Um, and they're also two and four this year when they surrender more than 125 yards on the ground. Niners love to run the ball. So it's kind of going to be. It's going to be interesting. Um, and when we think back about the, when the Niners went to the Super Bowl, I think Garoppolo threw the ball combined 20 times between the two wins over the Vikings and the Packers on the way to the Super Bowl. So they're capable of being a run-dominant team. So we'll have to see uh, kind of how Dallas prepares for that. It, you know, Because if I'm, if I'm a coordinator against the Niners, I would stack the line of scrimmage. I would bump and press all the wide receivers, make Jimmy G throw deep, and pressure him nonstop because that's, that's where he has issues. And like Alex just said, one of the strengths for Dallas, which we're going to talk about right now, is turnover, for, forcing turnovers. They have the most turnovers forced in the NFL with 34. They also have the most touchdowns scored on offense in the NFL. So, uh, you know, Dallas is a very dangerous team in creating turnovers and, and scoring off of that. So Jimmy Garoppolo, who's he is going to give Dallas the ball at least once. That's easy money. You can put money on that, bet that, wherever you want to bet that. He will have one turnover at least. Um Dallas' run defense, I've already talked about, Alex. The run defense is, is I think, the weak part of that team. Do you, is, do you agree with that, or do you think there's more of a glaring hole on the Dallas uh, team? 
Um, I think they got other holes anywhere, but I think right now, um, because um, they're having to play uh, their rookie linebacker, a linebacker where he is, so he can't pass rush. Um, they're weak in linebacker. They had a lot of guys who got injured, guys going off of COVID, and even the starters aren't that really good. So uh, I definitely think their their linebackers with run fits are going to be the problem. So I definitely agree with that. What does Dallas have to do to win this game? Dallas has to somehow, some way, keep San Francisco. They're going to run the football, but keep them in a low clip. So Dallas can win this game if they, if defensively wise. They can hold San Francisco to 25 carries, 90 yards, somewhere around there where they're four, four and a half yards, because I don't think they're going to be able to hold them less than that. If they're talking five, six, seven yards per carry, the game's over. On the offensive side, Dallas has got to be able to protect. If they're able to protect and block Nicky Bolson, Armstead, I think Armstead, good chance he's going to have a great game. They can block their front four. Um, and San Francisco can put pressure on without having to send blitzes. If they can prop their front four, I think Dallas can, ex- uh, can definitely execute their offense and take care of uh, San Francisco's cornerback situation. Yeah, it's an atrocious quarterback situation uh, for San Francisco, so we'll see how that goes. Tejas, uh, what are your thoughts on just the Cowboys-Diners game? Because it's got to be kind of uh, you know our childhood. We grew up in, in this kind of rivalry, right? Yeah, who's Deion Sanders playing for? Yeah, both. Both. <laughs> no, um, no my, my my instincts on the game is just kind of I, I, I there's no real logic behind it but for some reason i feel like this is like the upset game and uh so i i think the 49ers might pull it out and it, it, like based on what you guys were saying as far as maybe having some success on the run and then having some good defensive pressures that generate some turnover all right it's uh it is a three-point favorite four um for for Dallas because it's in Dallas, uh, so I got you get down for the Niners. Tages, Alex, who do you think wins this game with the Dallas with a three point spread? You know, I've seen some places have it at three and a half, but it's kind of three is really what we're looking at. Um, I'm gonna go Dallas. Um, I, I'm gonna put it on Dallas. I'm gonna put it on my own on on that front office. I'm gonna put it on the coaching staff. This is one of those games that if you if you think you're a good team, you have to figure out a way to win. Um, it does. It's not a good matchup for it to me. It's not a good matchup at all for Dallas to me, and I'll just be outright that. But I think, um, especially, this is why they got brought in. They got brought in to play teams like this, where you're out, you're you're out. You can be out coached and out maneuvered. So I'm gonna go Dallas, especially at three. Um, if it was a little bit more, I would probably go the other way. But I'm fine with it going at three. So I go Dallas. Right, next, we got the Cardinals at the Rams. The game's set for Monday at 8.15. Kind of weird that they have the game spread out over three different days to kind of give someone a disadvantage on on rest, uh, especially with these two teams kind of being banged up, especially the Rams having some key injuries uh, from the Niners game. Uh, but these guys split the season series to play each other twice, obviously, so it's a third time. They both won on the road. Uh, but the concerning thing is the Cardinals go into these playoffs losing four of five. Uh, and the other weird thing is the Colonels are three and five at home, but eight and one on the road, including uh, the game being in LA. Um, it's kind of odd. And I think the one loss the Cardinals had was against the Lions on the road. So it's a really weird situation. But matchup uh, for these two teams, some of the strengths for the Arizona, um, the running game, including Kyler Murray and his ability to scramble. So I know Connor Edmonds have been kind of uh, hurt lately, but they should have both him available and Kyler Murray. 
so that's kind of, to me, a big strength for Arizona. I think one of the big weaknesses, though, is what I just talked about, momentum. I, I know I talked about they've lost four or five, but they ended the season four and six, so they've had a huge drop-off. Um, so, Alex, what does Arizona have to do to win this game? <clears throat> Offensive-wise, they got to find someone else to make plays other than Kyler Murray. Um, I know J.J. Watt's coming back on defense, but we had not heard about D-Hop yet. So I don't think it's been a, uh, anything that's came out said he might be able to play this week, so he might be maybe the next week. Um, they got to find someone else to help him out, whether it's James Conner or Edmonds or maybe one of the other young wide receivers they got. Um, they're going to need somebody else to kind of help Kyler Murray. If he tries to win his game on his own, he's, he's going to be running for his life the rest of his game. And then defensively, <clears throat> I think one of the better parts of surprise for us this year, Arizona's defense has played pretty well at times. Um, they've kind of been up and down. They looked good uh, a couple of weeks ago against Dallas. They didn't look too well against Seattle. Um, they got to find a way to kind of put some pressure on Matt Stafford. He's showing proponent of throwing a lot of interceptions, put them in a situation. Turnovers in the playoffs are huge. So if they can get uh, their defense to make Stafford turn the football over, they'll win this game. I think kind of a weird thing to talk about is if Stafford doesn't make it to the Super Bowl, Jared Goff did. And you brought Stafford in to replace Jared Goff. So it's kind of a weird, weird thing for the Rams. Um, the Rams and their is their passing game. When Matt Stafford is on, he is on. And uh, Cooper Cup has turned into an elite level wide receiver uh, in terms of blocking, running routes, his hands. He's he's phenomenal. Uh, he's really taken it into another level this year. Um, another strength for the Rams is just their star power. I mean, they got three potential Hall of Famers on defense. Uh, big names on offense. I mean, OBJ is kind of a, just there off as a number two or number three at times. But some of their weaknesses they got, they got some major depth issues. And we talked about this, Alex, in the preseason. They have some major star power. However, what happens when they have some injuries? Well, they just had some injuries. They had to sign Eric Weddle just recently. Uh, I think he's 37 years old. Um, a name that you're familiar with, Tejas. I don't know if you knew how long he was out of the league for, but he's been gone for a little bit. Uh, so Eric Weddle is resigned with the Rams to help kind of solidify their injuries in the, in the back, uh, where the safeties are. So Alex, what do the Rams need to do to make sure that they win this game? <clears throat> Defensively wise, Aaron Donald's got to get after Kyler Murray. Uh, they got to make him run around, try to see if he can win this game on his own. Um, I've, you know, I've seen Aaron Donald kind of flash and then every once in a while you have Von Miller kind of come. Uh, but they need Little Floyd to show up. They need Von Miller to show up. This, this, these three guys on the front, these guys are here for a reason. They need to be able to put pressure on them on the defensive side. Offensively side, I think McVay is going to have a great offensive scheme. He's going to be able to move the football. The thing about it is, is Matt Stafford cannot turn the football over. Even if he gets pressure in his face, he's got to learn to eat the football and just take the sack, um, live the fight another day. Uh, but if he turns the football over like he did last week against the 49ers, it's going to bury them. Yeah, so a couple of interesting things to talk about before I ask you guys who you think are going to win, who's going to win this game. Uh, first off, quarterbacks making their first ever start in the playoffs, which this is a first start for Kyler Murray, in the wildcard round are 11-31 and 31 since 2002. So not really good stats for a quarterback starting for the first time, including Mac Jones, who we're going to talk about later. A couple other things. Uh, Matt Stafford has never started a home game in the playoffs. He's three. He's got three playoff games. He's 0-3. So this is the first time in a home playoff game. Lastly, the Cardinals are 0-3 in primetime games, which this is. So a lot of these kind of crazy stats going out there. 
Right now, Tages, the spread is four-point favorites for the Rams. They're the home team. Would you put money on the Rams in that one, or do you take the Cardinals and the plus four, Tages? Uh, I'd put money on the Rams. Uh, kind of piggybacking on what Alex was saying is like, the way I see them losing would be if the Cardinals really put a ton of pressure on Stafford. And I, I don't think their pass rush is good enough to do that. And uh, just Murray, the second half of the season for the Cardinals has just been so underwhelming. And uh, without his big weapon of Hopkins, you know, I, I think the Rams might kind of run away with this game. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going Rams. Um, <clears throat> me and you have talked all year about Stafford and kind of his inconsistencies at times. Um, but I, I think sometimes that playoff pressure, especially for young guys, it's a different type of pressure. Um, I think the Rams, I can see, I, I see kind of the Rams, like sometimes some teams, they don't really play as hard. They're not as great in the regular season because they're really just waiting for the, the, the playoffs. Um, I can see the Rams kind of dogging it through the playoffs. Look like sometimes they just kind of want to win a game and not really put off a hundred percent. I think the Rams are going to come out. Um, they're going to be at home. They're not going to have to worry about their fan base being split like last week. Uh, I think the Rams are going to show up. I think they're going to win. All right. Um, yeah, I, yep, I agree. I think the Rams are going to win. Uh, I just – I don't like when a team does not have good momentum going into the playoffs. I don't think it, it – it, I just it's not good usually. So um, I'm just curious to see how the Eric Whittle situation goes and who on the Rams even covers Zach Ertz because uh, I think that's really the big receiving target for the Cardinals. All right, next, let's move on to the AFC side. Tejas, your Steelers made the playoffs. They play at the Chiefs, 8-15 Eastern on Sunday. What are your thoughts on the Steelers and their miraculous run to uh, Big Ben's tour, last tour? So I'm looking at the headlines today, and it's uh, Fox News says, Steelers Ben Roethlisberger on facing the Chiefs in the playoffs. We don't have a chance. Uh, <laughs> hopefully this is taken somewhat out of context, but that, that was the headline as of today. Um, after watching the first Steelers-Chiefs games th this year, I kind of agree with Ben. And that, that was one of the most miserable Steelers game I've, I've, I've ever had to sit through. Uh, so I, I, I uh, am leaning towards the, the Chiefs here. Uh, Steelers have only played Mahomes twice. He's lit us up uh, both times. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think they have an answer for him. And, and, you know, he's someone, if they blitz, he just picks them apart with huge plays. Um, so it's, it, it's rough. Uh, you know, the hope would be if we could run on them. And the, during that first game with the Chiefs, they couldn't run for positive yardage every time they tried. So, um, you know, maybe they can change some things around. Uh, the Steelers had three offensive linemen last week that it's like, I, you know, I, I'm, I completely was just learning for the first time who they were. And, you know, it's like someone that has studied their line. Like, you know, it's just been that kind of kind of year for how much turnover they have. So, um, you know, maybe some of these new guys block better than the guys that were blocking three weeks ago, but uh, it's it's a long shot. Uh, Chiefs are 12 and a half uh, favorites, and I think it's probably safe money to just think that the Chiefs are going to stomp on the Steelers. All right, so let's talk about some of the uh, strengths and weaknesses for the Steelers. So obviously the, the obvious strength is, you know, the pass rush for the Steelers. Um, 22 and a half sacks from TJ Watt. 
uh, with helping lead uh, the Steelers to having the most sacks. They have uh, 55 sacks on the year, so they led the NFL on that. Uh, the one impressive stat that made the Steelers a little bit of hope is when T.J. Watt gets sacked, Steelers 18-1 of those games. Uh, when he doesn't record a sack, they're 0-3. So that's uh, big strength for the Steelers. They really need to rely on him. Um, for the weaknesses for the Steelers, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's just Big Ben's a shell himself, so they need to make sure they kind of be – make sure they're efficient. They limit the uh, turnovers. Like last time they played, you know, three turnovers against the Chiefs, which caused a lot of issues. They could never really recover in that game and get back into it. Uh, Tages, what do the Steelers have to do to win this game, though? Is there any kind of uh, anything you think they can do, uh, a couple things they have to do, or what do you think they got to do to win this game? Yeah, no, I think they really have to get after Mahomes and and maybe also get some luck, to, you know, just balls hitting guys in the numbers and then bouncing into a Steeler or something like that. So they, they got to find some way to get turnovers, and, you know, I think that should be – you know, pressure and uh, you just got to hope the football gods give them some bounce. Alex, what do you think? Do you, uh, is there any, anything that the Steelers need to do to make sure they have a chance to win this game? Yeah. Close to what uh, Tasers was saying, they got to be able to, to get the turnover. They got to be able to get to Mahomes. Um, Pittsburgh type of defense kind of doesn't match up for the simple fact is they're kind of Blitzburg. They like to send a lot of pressure and a lot of teams who've played Mahomes have kind of played that kind of empty cover two or cover shell just to see if uh, Mahomes is willing to duck, kind of duck it underneath. And uh, Mahomes is a, a kind of struggle there early this year. Um, they're gonna if they're gonna send pressure, they got to be able to get after Mahomes, put him behind the eight ball, uh, get some turnovers. That's got to be their kind of path to to winning. All right, uh, talking to the Chiefs side, some. Uh... You know, the, the strengths for the Chiefs, I think, is expo- like offensive firepower. It's pretty clear cut. Hill, they haven't Kelsey last game, so now they've got Kelsey back against them. Um, uh, weakness for the Chiefs, you know, that pass defense is not very good. Uh, they are susceptible. The corners have improved a lot. However, the linebackers and safeties are not as good in coverage uh, there. So um, the spread for this game is Kansas City by 12 and a half. So, Tages, are you going to take – Kansas City doing by 12 and a half, or do you think the Steelers can keep it closer if you had to put money on it? I'll take the Kansas City 12 and a half. Uh, you know, I think they just have so much firepower that it'll be hard for the Steelers to keep this a game. Yeah. Alex, you? I'm going to bring up one quick thing I know before I get to that. We got to have to talk about the new flyer that's going around the internet. Um, Taze, you may have seen this. We posted on, on our, our page about the you're invited to the Ben Roethlisberger retirement party. <laughs> that is the trash talk that we're starting to see right now Chiefs fans are starting to get a little bit full of it Um, I don't even know if it's a Chiefs fan it might just be still a hater or whatever but um, I'm going to go the opposite way Uh, I think 12 I know know they got blew out the first game earlier this year um, but this is the playoffs the games are a lot tighter Um, I just especially with the Tomlin coach team I could definitely see them having formulated a plan to keep this game close. So I, 12 and a half points is a little bit too rich for me. Uh, I think Kansas City still wins, but I'm, I I think they, they keep it under that points. Yeah, I think I would want to believe that because Tomlin is a good coach that he can't keep the game close somehow. It's obviously going to obviously, it's going to hard to say the Chiefs are going to lose a game, but 
Um, you know, Kevin Garnett, anything's possible, but, uh, yeah, give me the, give me the Steelers 12 and a half. It's just a lot of points. Like I expect that like for the Lions or Jaguars, not in a, a playoff game. I don't care. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of points. So I guess we'll see how that goes. All right, next let's move on to the, uh, Raiders at the Bengals. So two surprise teams making the playoffs. Uh, however, both teams are 10 and seven with the Bengals winning their division. So Raiders did finish 10 and seven, despite all the, the crazy stuff that happened this year. Um, so for, for the Raiders and the Bengals, um, you know, they did play earlier this year with the Bengals uh, winning the game. Uh, it was a closer game early on in the game before they kind of pulled away. Um, but, uh, you know, Alex, what's your initial thoughts on seeing these two new teams uh, making the playoffs? You know what? It kind of had to sit back and think for a second. This is Derek Carr's first playoff game. Remember, he made the playoffs early in his career, but he got hurt like the week before the playoffs and they had to play uh, Connor cook in the game and a Raiders loss. Um, you got two really kind of new guys to the playoffs. Obviously Burrow, this is the second year. Um, it's going to be kind of interesting because you got the veteran who's going to be technically a playoff rookie and you got the young guy who's a playoff rookie. So I think this is an e- even money game. The teams aren't really separated by much. Uh, some of the, you know, with the way they played previously, it was 32 to 13 in uh, week 11. The game was close until the fourth quarter, and they kind of just completely fell apart for, for the Raiders there. Uh, one interesting thing, though, is this game is supposed to be cold, possible snow, temperature 30 degrees. Uh, Carr has owned five in games where the temperature is that cold. So, you know, weird stat maybe doesn't perform very well in the cold weather there. But uh, so some of the weaknesses and uh, strengths for the Raiders. So, uh, Alex, do you, you, do you see a clear strength for the Raiders? Because for me, it's just kind of they're as good as Carr is, and there's no more to it. Is it do you agree, or is there any other strengths really we look at for the Raiders? That uh, on offense, um, and then also on defense, they actually have a pretty good pass rushers. Um, they could get after the quarterback. And for Cincinnati, the fact that is that we've talked about them since they before. Uh, when they're able to pit protect their quarterback, they're pretty lethal offense. But Vegas does have the ability to rush the passer, particularly with Ngakwe and Crosby. All right, so what do the Raiders need to do to make sure they win this game, Alex? They got to put pressure on uh, Joe Burrow. <clears throat> That's going to be the main thing about it is they got to put pressure defensively on them. Um the offensive-wise, it's like what you said, it's Derek Carr bust. I think um, Jacobs can definitely be a factor in this thing. I think if they're able to kind of uh, get the run going, um, kind of get the, a balance on offense and kind of control the game, I think they can kind of keep Cincinnati's offense off the field. <clears throat> like I said before, I think this game is kind of even money, in my opinion. I know they played earlier here before, but Vegas is not that far away from Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the Bengals side of this, Alex, do you know how long it's been since the Bengals have won their last playoff game? Yes, I actually do. Cause there's a great meme going around talking about it. You know what the meme's talking about? No, what does it say? Says that no one in, in history has ever sent a text about the Cincinnati Bengals winning a playoff game. Jesus Texas Christ. were invented in 1992 and the last won a playoff game in 1991. And they defeated the Houston Oilers. So that's insane. It's been 31 years since the Bengals have won a playoff game. 
you know, they're, they're favored to win this game. They're at home. They beat the Raiders in Las Vegas previously. Now they're in Cincinnati. Um, strengths this team obviously is just, I think Joe Burrows is just, uh, I think he's essentially a top five quarterback already. So to me, strengths is just Joe Burrow, Alex weakness, offensive line. We talked about in the preseason. We talked during the regular season. I'm still concerned. Max Crosby is insanely talented. He went off this year. He gets a ton of pressures. They got to make sure they find a way to double team him all game, chip him, whatever they need to do. Cause I, you know, he could be a real disruptor for that team. So, what do the Bengals need to do, Alex, to make sure that they do win this game? They got to protect uh, Joe, Joe Burrow on the offensive side, um, make sure he's upright. I think he's upright. He's good enough to pick that secondary part with Vegas. Uh, Defensively-wise, um, the Cincinnati Bengals defense, alert, alert. I've been talking bad about you guys all year. One game, they play really good. They play really good against the Lamar Jackson or someone like that. And the next game, they go out and they poop the bed, okay? Cincinnati defense, you're playing a good quarterback this weekend. You have to step up. If they don't step up and Carr does whatever he wants and he just goes out, Cincinnati's not winning this game. Their defense has to step up and play consistent football. They have flashes of brilliance at times, and then sometimes they kind of poop the bed. But Cincinnati defense altogether has to step up. All right, so the line for this game is the Bengals are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Tejas, can the Bengals win a playoff game for the first time in 31 years? Uh, I, it's crazy that they didn't win it at all during the Carson Palmer era, but uh, you know, yep. they, I guess they, they really claimed their year was the, the year he broke his leg against the Steelers in the first round, so. But uh, I guess he never. <laughs> that is crazy that they didn't didn't win one. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that this is the year. Um, I'll I'll take the Bengals in this game. I'll take them with the five point five uh, points that were given to to, to the Raiders. And I, I I think both teams are a little inconsistent. Um, you know, definitely. But uh, at least Bengals offense is not inconsistent. You know, what Alex was saying, the Bengals defense is inconsistent. Uh, the Raiders are just as both units have been kind of inconsistent throughout the year. And I, I just have faith that Burrow is the best player in this game. And so I'll take them. Alex, what about you? Um, points where I'm, I'm going, going to go the other way. I think uh, the line a little bit, a little higher for that. I expected, I guess Vegas maybe thinks that Vegas shouldn't have been in the playoffs or something like that. Like I said, I think they're very close. Um, I think, uh, I think they're going to keep it very close. I'm almost tempted to go Vegas outright, um, but something, maybe it's the ghost of Sam Wise that's coming to me and screaming to me and telling me that we're not in Cleveland, we're in Cincinnati. Um, but I think Cincinnati is overdue. There were no franchises overdue for a playoff win. So I think they win, but I think it's not going to be the five and a half points too much for me. This is a game I'm the most confused about. Like I literally want to just say that I am going to pick the Raiders just because – if you look at the last couple of games, they beat the Cowboys in Dallas. They beat the Browns in Cleveland, beat the Colts in Indianapolis. They just beat the Chargers in that crazy game. However, they also won all those games by a combined, I think, 11 points. So they didn't really put anyone away and sandwich that between getting obliterated by the Chiefs by uh, 39 points. So I want to lean towards the Raiders and just say that they always find a way to win. But I keep going back to this whole I think certain players really can't play in the cold very well. So I'm not really sure uh, if they can do that. 
and because of that reason, I think I'm going to lean towards Joe Burrow and 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 say that I think they can win by a touchdown just because of their ability to play in that weather a little bit better. So, uh, but I'm so torn in this game. I, I could go either way in that one. All right, let's uh, wrap this up in the last game. Um, we got the Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they played twice already. Uh, they both won uh, at each other's place. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Patriots won 14-10 at the Bills when they played in that crazy snowstorm with the insane winds where they had you know that kickoff that went backwards and the field goal that went missed by a lot. Um, it's supposed to be 15 degrees in Buffalo. Uh, they're not supposed to see any crazy amount of wind. So with all that said, they both split this game, uh, season series, Buffalo won in new England. And I think it, this is my opinion. Buffalo showed really what the matchup is going to be based on a non crazy weather environment. Um, with that being said, it's Mac Jones first start, uh, Josh Allen's building off his playoff experience. Um, some strengths for the bills, uh, Josh Allen and the defense. The Bills are one of the few teams that are actually, I believe, top five or top 10 in both offense and defense. So they're a really solid team. Weakness for the Bills, once they lost Tredavious White, they lost their ability to have a real true shutdown corner. I think that's kind of concerning. It's not going to be concerning against the Patriots because they don't have real that wide receiver one threat. But against another team later on, that could be a real issue. Alex, what do the Bills have to do to make sure they win this game? Um, they're going to have to be able to protect for Josh Allen. I think we've kind of get to the point of, you know, it's Josh Allen, a bust for the Bills. They've got to be able to kind of rally around him. He's kind of turned into their leading rusher. He's basically their leading rusher. He's their leading passer. He's their lead playmaker. Um, they got to be able to kind of um, make sure he's upright, make sure he's protected, let him kind of do what it is, and his wide receivers are going to have to work for him. Um, he's not going to be an on-time thrower. He's going to have to, you know, stand in the pocket, maybe, you know, you know, dance around a little bit. So the wide receivers are going to have to work for him. Defensively wise, I think they need to get some turnovers from from Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is he's a rookie. I know you're not supposed to look at guys like that, but rookies make mistakes in big time situations like this. Kind of did when they played New England a couple of weeks ago. So. Buffalo Bills was at the number one defense, and for some reason, they didn't have anybody in, in the Pro Bowl, which is crazy. I've never seen yep. that in my life, but um, they, they need to get some turnovers, get to Mac Jones, make him look like a real rookie. In that case, I think Buffalo Buffalo should be okay. All right, some strengths for the Patriots. Obviously, I think it's just their coaching experience, and so, you know they just know how to win these type of games. Um weaknesses for the Patriots. They don't really have that true X factor game breaker on offense. They have a bunch of good parts, but they don't have, you know, the Patriots use in the past have always had that X factor. They always had someone that could do something with Tom Brady, get him the ball. And they don't have that this year. Uh, rookie quarterback since 2010 in the playoffs are two and six. And those two wins are in games where they played against other rookie quarterbacks. So um, Mac Jones, he had a good strong start to the year. And I think around week 11, he had a huge drop off. His stats weren't nearly as good. It was a whole different type of offense. Uh, granted, some of that was, you know, tied to like that Bills game where they just ran the ball through three times. But um, Alex, what do the Patriots have to do to win this game? Got to keep Josh Allen in the pocket. You can't let him kind of run all over the place, kind of manipulate the pocket, buy time for himself. You're going to have to be, their edge rushers are going to have to be disciplined, kind of, um, like a more muddle rush up field to kind of contain him. And then they also got put pressure on him, keeping him in the pocket defensive wise, 
That way, uh, Belichick, who's really good at showing different coverages, can kind of confuse a little bit, make it kind of work for a little bit. It kind of happened in the first game they had earlier this year on Monday Night Football. And then offensively, they got to try their best not to put it in their quarterback hand. Um, they got good, really good running backs. They got three good running backs they can run with. Um, if they can somehow, some way, get up on Buffalo, get a lead on Buffalo, maybe lead on the run a little bit more, you don't have to try to make Mac Jones throw 50 times. Definitely uh, the weather's going to be better, but try your best to kind of limit him to maybe 20, 25 throws at best. Um, but you got to make this game a little bit ugly, run the football, be efficient as possible, and get out there with a win. So what I do want to say, who you know, who we think we're gonna, is going to win it all, but I, I think right now the Bills are kind of my favorite to win the whole thing just because of how good they're on offense and defense. And I don't think people realize that like last year was really just him and Stephon Diggs and some Cole Beasley. This year he's got Dawson Knox. The last four, three or four games they've been running with Devin Singletary. Like he's been getting 20 carries a game. So they've actually tried to identify an actual running game for the first time ever. Um, you know, even Gabriel Davis has came on. Uh, McKenzie, like he's actually spreading the ball around, which I think is really dangerous for everyone. So uh, getting into the uh, betting side of this, um, I'm pulling up the uh, odds here. But uh, Tejas with the, the Bills, they are a four-point favorite in Buffalo. Uh, do you put money on that, or do you think the Patriots can keep a closer win? Yeah, I'd take the Bills. Uh, I think they're a better team. Uh, with the a lot of echoing what you guys said about just how good I you know have faith in Josh Allen to to really make you know key plays and um, you know I I think it'll be tough for you know particularly if Mac Jones if he has to you know come back after uh, if the Bills kind of get out in front of them uh, you know that's that's a tough task to kind of be relying on his arm. Um, in light of that, one of the funny kind of prop bets here is that they have Mac Jones at. 205 yards and you can bet the over or under on that and i kind of like betting under 205 yards for him you know i think it's another very cold buffalo weather and it could be a game where you know just a lot of running plays and not much high flying uh, high scoring passing so yeah yeah i agree with that it's supposed to be 15 degrees there so it's definitely be uh not fun to be doing that throwing that throwing the ball very well uh alex what do you got? I'm taking the Bills with the points. Um, I think um, Belichick had kind of shown he's kind of not been able to kind of deal with Josh Allen. It's funny how Belichick in their division, when they have a, a, another elite quarterback in the division, kind of defensive-wise, they kind of struggle a little bit. Um, I think Buffalo, back to what you said, Brian, I think they're one of the better top offenses, top defenses. I think it's enough to get them over. Um, I don't expect, you know, I think they're going to win at least by a touchdown. I don't expect New England to kind of be in this game. I think they'll they have a good in the beginning, but I think Buffalo is going to control this game. So I'm taking Buffalo. Yeah, I think uh, me personally, uh, I think this is like a, a bill statement win. I think they're going to hand it to the Patriots. Um, you know, I just got that feeling that it's going to, it's coming together. And I, like I said, last time they played uh, the bills handled the Patriots and then, you know, Mac Jones, yeah, he's doing great for rookie quarterback, but I just don't think, I don't think they can deal with the Bills. So uh, that's who I got. All right, so that wraps up all the games that we have and the predictions and the bets and the strengths and weaknesses for all the teams. Uh, so looking forward to watching these games next week. Before we wrap it up, Tejas, is there any uh, anything that you're looking forward to watching this week? 
<laughs> the, the the comeback of Ben Roethlisberger. He's like Michael Myers, man. You can't kill this guy. Yeah, it's like a zombie. Like they they should have been they should have been put away weeks ago, a while ago. But just remember, Big Ben's never had a losing season. It's just crazy. So, Alex, is there anything you look forward to watching too? I am looking for uh, the renewed rivalry of the San Francisco-Dallas game. I'm looking very forward to it because I've been having flashbacks of hating Murray, Murray Hanks and the whole sec- your whole secondary, Brian, um, and them and their, uh, their floppy little heads and all they used to do. Now, I will say I don't hate Eric Davis as much as I used to because he came on TV. He kind of looked like he kind of sounded like a really legitimate guy. Uh, but I still hate McDonald. I still hate Hanks. Uh, I still hate David Stubblefield. I hate everybody in your franchise. Uh, go Cowboys. Yep. Uh, I respect that. Uh, just wait for Juwan Jennings to score his two touchdowns to stand on that big blue star again. So uh, he'll be the T.O. Jr. right there. All right. So uh, that wraps up everything for the week. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back uh, next week with a recap on uh, NFL for the playoffs. And we're going to start in the near future, start talking offseason. And there's a lot of stuff to start talking, including the coaching stuff that's happening right now. The potential hires and mock drafts going on. There are more mock drafts every single week by different people. So lots of stuff to catch up on, uh, including other news with sports. Uh, like we had UFC starting back up this next week. Thank God. The longest three weeks of my life. Um, but, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, listen, subscribe, share. We appreciate all the support, and we'll catch you guys next week.